electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Yes, it does, Scott. And thank you. I am Brian Sullivan in for Kelly once again. And welcome to The Exchange. Here's what is ahead. As you just heard, a big interday turnaround for stocks, even shrugging off midday comments by the Fed's Loretta Mester that more restrictive policy may be needed. Huh. Markets in the green. Despite that, we are tracking everything from the macro to Main Street, seeing it's how impacting your money and the markets. Russia attacking energy infrastructure, Iranian oil workers going on strike, new fights between the White House and OPEC. What does it all mean for energy prices and inflation ahead? We'll dig in. And if inflation is really beginning to slow down, will some stocks get set to pop? We're going to throw down just a little bit of optimism. Why not? And our trader naming one group that certainly could rally. We're going to get to all that head coming up on the exchange. But let us begin with those macro markets because they have made a nice turn. At one point, the Dow was down about 128 points. We are on our highs of the session. We're up 359 right now. The Nasdaq was down until literally moments ago. Really a sharp reversal from this morning which is interesting because you got some, I would call, negative comments from the Fed's Loretta Mester. However, those comments not doing much to derail the gain. She was talking about more restrictive policy potentially being needed. But are they listening to Mester or are they listening to Brainerd? Because Leo Brainerd, as Steve Leishman talked to you yesterday about, took a slight turn. Not, she's not a dove, but there definitely was a small sense of a pivot Maybe that's what's popping it. Either way, we'll talk more about it. Consumer staples and healthcare, your biggest sector gainers right now. Walgreens, Coca-Cola, and the spice maker McCormick, your biggest staple gainers. You got IT and the communication services, some of your biggest laggards right now. Netflix, Dish, and what else? Meta, some of the biggest losers in the space. I mean, Meta, formerly known as Facebook, maybe should go back to being called Facebook because when it was Facebook, the stock did well. Meta has just been one of the worst-performing big-cap stocks in the last 12 months. Let's also get a check on Treasuries because we know the bond market is what's actually been moving the stock market. Ten-year yield at 3.88% the two-year, which is really what you want to watch even more than the 10-year, unless you're in the market for a mortgage, the two-year at 4.29%. All right, so let's go now from the numbers to the narrative. And as always, we've got all your angles covered. we got the macro, we got the markets, and we even got the main street. Steve Leesman with the latest Central Bank headlines here and abroad, the ripple effects and the report our Fed will be watching very closely on Thursday. MAI Capital's Chris Grisanti with what it all means to the markets and your money. And the CEO of Frost Bank is here with how this is all going to play out on Main Street and what he is hearing from customers right now. We'll get to all that, but let's begin with senior economics reporter Steve Leesman. Steve. Yeah, Brian, you're right. The market has uh, shrugged off these very hawkish comments from Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester. Came out just the past hour. She says she doesn't believe inflation has peaked and there's been no measurable progress on inflation. Uh, A quote from her speech, quote, being cautious means that the FOMC should persevere in taking policy actions to return the economy to price stability. She supports a funds rate 
moving solidly into restrictive territory, going up above 4.6% next year and staying there for some time. This is somewhat counter to what we talked about yesterday with Fed Governor Lil Brand, who suggested there was maybe somewhat more progress on inflation and sounded a note of caution in hiking too far. A lot of this is all going to depend when it comes to Fed policy on the inflation numbers. On Thursday, we're looking for a three-tenths hike, uh, higher than the last month, but the overall year-year should come down to 8.1%. That's the consensus forecast. But it's really the core number, which you can see goes up by 0.4, but because of uh, the past numbers, it, the, the core year-over-year year rate goes up 6.5%. And that's what leads, I think, to Loretta Mester's uh, hawkish comments, the issue of Risk in the financial system from all these rate hikes, another consistent theme in Fed speak these days. Brainerd saying liquidity is a little fragile in core markets. Mester chiming in saying she sees low levels of financial stress. Whatever you think, bond markets overseas, a bit quieter today after yesterday's big sell-off with the Bank of England expending again today its bond purchasing program, Brian. Well, it's not all she said. I saw some other headlines, Steve, that she said you got to watch global developments for a potential impact back to the United States. Again, we're talking Fed speak here, so you got to maybe read between the lines, between the lines. Sounds like she's worried maybe about what's happening in Europe, some banking concerns. we got some IMF numbers about global growth. You think Mester sounds concerned yeah. is what you're saying. Yep. You're not talking about Mester. But he's right. Well, I mean, look, Brian, you are correct. She said all of those things, and she said a few other things that were also somewhat dovish. But what I'm talking about is what I feel to be the massive thrust of this speech, which was a hawkish thrust. She said, you can't even say inflation has peaked. There has been no progress on inflation. She favors a funds rate that goes up above 4.6%. Yes, there are some lines in that thing you could read as being somewhat dovish. She said that maybe uh, there's been some stability in wages, that there's been some progress on the supply chain. All those things are out there. But the major thrust of the speech when it came to policy, in my view, was one that was very hawkish and almost in a way somewhat of a counter to what Brainerd said yesterday. I really, I think more than just in a way, Steve, I think it was, it almost seemed like a direct counter, but hey, they're, in, they're, they're independent and allowed to have their own views. Steve Leisman, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right, so Pleasure. there's the setup from Steve. Now to what this all means for the markets. Joining us now is MAI Capital's chief market strategist, Chris Grisanti. And Chris, you do have some reasons to be not so gloomy, maybe even, I dare I say, optimistic. Get to that in just a moment. But I want to ask you directly, Markets are surging despite right. what you just heard from Steve and Loretta Mester. Why? Well, Brian, it's nice to be with you again. I, I think the primary reason is they're, they're not telling us anything we don't know. I mean, look, the Fed's going to be tough on inflation. Uh, there's a war in Ukraine. There, there are uh, CPI reports coming out on Thursday that are not going to be pretty. But, but the market is a discounting mechanism, and they're looking ahead three, six months down the road where things could be not as bad as they are today? Not as bad is not necessarily meaning good, Chris. But to your macro point, I think, stock sure. markets, you say discounts, a fancy word for they try to predict. They move ahead of everything else, maybe six, nine, even 12 months. Right. If we see a turn in equities higher to year end, could be seasonality, but do you think then it is pricing in what can be viewed as a as a dovish Fed pivot or at least an end to direct rate hikes. Right. I don't think there's going to be a quote unquote 
pivot, Brian. I think we're entering a new era of, of a higher rate deck. But having said that, there are plenty of stock markets that are just fine with a 10-year at, at 4 or 5%. And, and I have several reasons to be not quite as gloomy as you mentioned. First of all, it's, it's not a bad thing if we go into a recession, which I think we will, uh, it's not a bad reason that the economy is too strong and too many people are employed. This is not 2008 where the Fed was rushing to catch up with events and, and it was really an existential crisis. Here, the Fed is on top of events. In fact, they're causing it. And when things get too painful, they can dial it back. So, so it's a much different recession. We're already down about as much as we would be in the typical post-war recession. So we're discounting quite a bit. Uh, and inflation is a different environment. So it's not all bad. Remember, earnings are reported in nominal dollars. So earnings will look that much better, all things mm -hmm. being equal. So and then I'm not saying go out and you know buy everything around. I'm just saying maybe the time for selling is over and it's time to plant some long-term fertile okay. investments in a ground that nobody likes. Chris, I want you to sit tight for it. We're going to come back to you. I do got some breaking news on three-year notes being up for auction. Rick Santelli's at the CME and these auctions, they, they really matter to market sentiment, Rick. They indeed do. And this particular auction is the first of three for a total of 90 million. This one's 40 billion three-year notes. And the auction yielded a yield of 4.318, so a bit under 4.32%. As you look at the chart, you can see at 1 Eastern, rates move up. When rates move up after an auction buttons up, usually means demand wasn't ex exceptional. In this case, that was the case. I gave it a C-. If I was in a bad mood, I could have given it a D+. The biggest grade off on this was the fact that the when-issued market was trading 431 431.8, where it ended up higher yield, lower price. Uh, one of the worst metrics today was that dealers took the most they've taken in all of 2022. They took 27%. That's the highest amount since the end of last year. All the other metrics were actually pretty decent. And we need to be cognizant of the fact that not only do we need to issue a significant amount of paper, the rest of the globe, especially Europe, is going to be issuing a whole lot more potentially. And places like the UK that were supposed to be on the sell side of sovereign securities have found themselves on the buy side. Uh, and indeed, we need to pay very close attention to the ultimate buyers here and whether they remain uh, sponsorship uh, for U.S. Uh, sovereign debts into the future, Sully. Back to you. EU today talking about adding more joint debt to combat the... I'm not sure what extra money is going to do other than buying more U.S. LNG. We'll see, Rick Santelli. Mr. Brightside, a C- instead of a D+. Thank you. All right. Let's go back now to MAI Capitals. Chris Grisanti. It's the magic of TV. We can just switch out guests. Chris, we appreciate the patience. Let's have a little optimism, right? A little sully side up, if you will. Two sure. stocks you like. Domino's Pizza and the CME Group. Very different companies. Why? Yeah, that's true. Well, well, Domino's is a classic recession stock. And if you think like I do, that we're, we are entering or about to enter a recession, you know, pizza is a thing that folks trade down to uh, in a recession. Mm -hmm. uh, but unlike other recession stocks like Dollar General that have been doing great in anticipation for a crummy economy, Domino's is trading near its lows because of inflation worries about cheese and flour and also a problem getting drivers. We think 
a recession where unemployment goes up will solve their driver problem. We think it will also solve their ingredients problem. And so this is a classic chance to get a recession stock at a bargain price just as we're entering a recession. So, so I really like Domino's. The other is it's not CME, actually, Brian. It's Intercontinental Exchange. Same business, but we like ICE better. Uh, they own the New York Stock Exchange. They're trading at record lows. But they don't, they're a financial that doesn't take any credit risk or interest rate risk. They're trading at a 10-year PE low, uh, and they own the Brent oil contract. So if you think that's a great market, they don't care whether oil goes up or down. They just care that it's traded heavily, which yeah. this year sure has. Um, this is a great chance to enter an iconic financial company at a, at a 10-year low PE. So we like them both in this market. ICE, not CME. I just wanted to see if you were paying attention, Chris. That's all. You got me, buddy. Just dropping random mistakes on TV. Chris Crisanti, thank you very much. My bad. MAI Capital. little optimism there. Pizza and Intercontinental Exchange. All right. So we have now done macro. We've now done markets. And now let's get to the impact on Main Street. Our next guest has a front row seat to the trickle-down effect of rising rates on everything from small business loans to mortgages and savings account. Joining us now. It's Phil Green, CEO of Frost Bank, regional bank based in San Antonio, Texas, though much bigger than most truly regional banks. And to be fair, Phil, you're based in Texas. So the Texas economy is doing far better than probably many other states. That said, from where you sit right now, are we in or going to soon be in a recession? Well, thanks for having me. It's interesting. We had a meeting today with the leadership for all our um, regions throughout the state, and we serve three of the top 10 largest cities in the U.S. And I will tell you that the economy is still good. In fact, it's strong in many ways. But I will tell you that what we're beginning to hear from customers is that what the Fed has been trying to do with regard to uh, slowing things down in interest-sensitive sectors, we're beginning to see uh, evidence of that. An example I would give you is the home building business. We've uh, we talked to people recently where you've had some of the larger builders who are not uh, following through on some development plans they've had on certain subdivisions because of, um, of demand. So you're beginning to see that, that flows through in some of the uh, construction activity that you see around that and the preparation for development, things like that. Now, I don't wanna overplay that, things are still strong. And if you look at the numbers, particularly the August numbers, they still look really good, but what we're beginning to hear from customers who have that interest-sensitive aspect, real estate development, those kind of things, we're beginning to see some circumspection in the, with those customers in terms of how they move forward. What's the direct impact of these mortgage rates, Phil? I mean, you see it. How big of a slowdown mm-hmm. is yeah. it? You know, it, 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 it's, it's a slowing in the rate of growth is what we're seeing. We're not seeing declines. But we are seeing some increases in time to sell homes. Let's say you, you go to a Dallas market that's really very strong. You'll see that increase to say an average of 28 days where it was been, where it was probably, you know, at least a third less than that before. You take the Austin market, great market. Uh, it was a 15 day sale period, it's up to 30. Now those are still short by historical standards, but they show that the direction is slowing somewhat. Yeah, well, you, like I said, you're in Texas, you guys are getting a lot of new residents, so maybe a little bit more insulated than, than many other markets. I want to talk about oil and gas, if I can, um, because there's been a lot of obvious criticism about why we're not seeing more oil drilling, which I find ironic in many ways, but let's move on. If a three- or ten-person 
small cap privately owned oil driller came to you and said, Mr. Green, we'd like to borrow some money to start a new oil services business. Could they get it? Well, I'd say with regard to that industry that they're in and, and, and the industry, the oil and gas industry overall, you know, what you've got is you've got problems with regard to, um, to things like labor, things like trucking, things like downhole pipe, things like sand, uh, all those types of things, and you're seeing cost increases. And so you're seeing an, an environment that's not really very conducive to increase in production. And uh, that's what we're seeing. And uh, another thing we're seeing, we've heard customers talk about, is you haven't really seen an increase in frac spread since May. And so the capacity of that business for completion is basically topped out today. And also the mm. equipment that's being used is starting to wear out. And you're not going to see new frac equipment until next year sometime. And so I would say that we are not and our customers are not very optimistic in terms of the near-term increase in production from that industry. You know, rational words. I mean, really, it's the stuff that uh, I'm just not sure D.C. fully understands. You're actually dropping knowledge about why people aren't doing stuff. Anyway, uh, on a macro side of small business, Phil, if I want to open up a business down in, you know, East Sheridan or the Riverwalk, one of these awesome places in downtown San Antonio, coffee shop, restaurant, again, could I? I mean, what is the state of small business right now? Well, you could. The state, is the state of small business in our state is strong. Uh, there's a lot of activity. As I say, the, the changes you're seeing are mainly in interest-sensitive areas, but the state of Texas economy, as you said, I'll admit is strong, and, and we, we like it to be. So there's lots of opportunity, and if there's not, then I can't explain why we're seeing so much movement from other states moving into our state and, and, and migrating. It might have something to do with a 0% state income tax rate, methinks, but that's just a wild guess. Phil Green, CEO of Frost Bank. Phil, hope to see you in San Antonio at some point. Great city. Thank you. Great. Thank you. All right. Coming up, the gig may be up for Uber, Lyft, and others. Shares of those companies slammed as the government wants to change how millions of workers get paid. But could it be very good news for one old school industry? Plus, even with OPEC's big output cut, oil prices are falling again today. One fund manager hopes the drop will continue, and it's not to help curb rising gas prices. And as we head to break, let's get a check on the macro markets. We were down earlier. We are up across the board now with the Dow up more than 300 points. NASDAQ up nearly 1%. The exchange back right after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. 
specialised across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back. A massive change may be coming for millions of workers around America. The government wants to reclassify independent contractors, so-called gig workers, to become full-time employees with all the benefits. And while that may sound good to the workers, the impact on companies, and then maybe ultimately the very same workers, may tell a different story. And it's slamming shares of Uber and Lyft right now. Deirdre Bosa joining us now with the latest. Deirdre, so it's, a, it's a potential move that would impact a lot of industries, healthcare, contractors. Yeah. But Uber and Lyft, their stocks are getting crushed on it as well. Well, it would certainly impact their business models if it moved forward. Now, we should note, though, that those stocks have made back some ground in the session. As investors do figure out how urgent, how real this potential threat may be to those business models. Now, if it does change the way Uber, Lyft, DoorDash classify their workers, the financial implications, they are huge. And those are likely passed on to consumers, we should note. However, we have been here before, and the companies have, over the years, worked more closely and more constructively with the Department of Labor to find a way to balance protections with flexibility. Now, for now, Wall Street somewhat divided on the impact. RBC writes, much ado about largely nothing, says the ruling seems more directly aimed at those other industries, like healthcare, construction, and food services. On the other hand, though, the proposal adds uncertainty to a sector that is already under pressure in terms of its market market value and its profitability. We have seen this play out here in California a few years ago. Not exact same, but similar through a ballot known as AB5 that would have reclassified drivers as employees. Gig companies, they ultimately want to carve out, but they spent tens of millions of dollars along the way campaigning against it, and they even threatened to leave the state altogether. So now the Labor Department proposal raises some risk of seeing a form of that labor pressures play out on a much larger national level, Brian. And that's what the market's trying to work through right here. Yeah, I've got many questions. Number one, the most important thing is the drivers, because I've talked to many Uber and Lyft drivers over the years. Not all want this. They've got their own reasons for maybe having more flexibility. There are certain things. Yeah. And you do wonder, I mean, could this be very good for the, ta- the old school taxi industry, Deirdre? You know what I mean? Stand <laughs> on a corner, raise your hand, a yellow car drives up, you get in, you exchange cash or credit for goods and services. Because I would imagine this will, if it goes through, dramatically increase the cost of a ride. Well, I mean, is there any difference right now between Uber and Lyft and the taxi industry? No. You've got a bunch well, of taxis Well, yeah, like 50% more platform. expensive. I've been taking taxis <laughs> I- a lot more. Yeah, exactly. The price has come more in line. You have a ton of taxis in different cities across the world on the Uber platform. So they've kind of converged. And take a look at their valuations. Uber and Lyft, they're not valued like tech companies. They're valued more like taxi companies. So there's that question. They are facing all these questions of profitability. But what do the drivers want? It always comes back to this. Um, There are some that enjoy the flexibility that they currently have and are worried that maybe that will go away if you get better protections. There's also a very large vocal group that say it's time for them to be treated like employees. Honestly, Brian, I have not heard this explained very well either way that you would necessarily lose those that flexibility if you yeah. become a full employee. So I don't know. That is one of the things that the Department of Labor would have to work through and that these companies are working through. And I should add, though, that there have been more protections. The way that they do business has changed over the years yeah. as this issue gets debated. Uh, just There's also tax implications on the car. And I, I, I'd love to talk to a tax expert about if you're an employee versus a contractor, 
How does that yep. change your depreciation in your tax schedule around the car, which could be 40, 50, 60,000 bucks? That's another discussion. It changes the whole in, business in model. A, in yeah. a different show. Deirdre Bosa, thank you very much. All right, let's bring in Dan Ives now. Wedbush, talk about the stocks. Dan, what's your take? I mean, I think this is a potential gut punch for Uber, Lyft, and the gay economy. And if you really think about it, you know, it was on the state level in terms of California. This is really a shot across the bow from the Department of Labor toward gay economy, Uber and Lyft. And that's really what investors are going through here. Feels like the start of what could be really a Pandora's box. Yeah. Uh, well, if it is and we open the box, what's at the bottom of it? An Uber and Lyft stock price that's zero? Look, I think at, at this point, it all needs to be over the next 45 days navigate in terms of what ultimately becomes, you know, what we'll call the proposal rather than the anticipation. Look, worst case, it could increase costs based on analysis 20 to 30 percent. You know, so that would change the business models upside down. I do believe that it could be barks worse than the bite as they ultimately work through this in terms of Uber and Lyft. But no doubt, Brian, I mean, this is the last thing investors want to see, an already white-knuckle market, to see the shot across the bow from the beltway. You know, if it's 200 bucks to take an Uber from San Francisco Airport to downtown San Francisco, you're not going to get a lot of rides like that. And so ultimately, it just comes back to what the public will tolerate. And Deirdre and I were just talking about taxis. Right. If the taxi is 75 and Uber was supposed to displace taxis, the whole thing is very confusing. Well, and I think Deirdre hit on the point, too, because the parity started to match what you see with, with traditional taxis in cities. And also, this is also why they're trying to balance specifically Uber, you know, getting a profitability. That's the tightrope. And, you know, ultimately, this is really going to be a PR battle, you know, between the gig economy as well as what we see come out of the Biden administration and the Department of Labor. And can they get to a happy medium? But I think the, the more jarring thing here is before it was California, it was AB5, it was on the state level. This is on the federal. And, and that's really what sort of sends shivers uh, to investors that have already been nervous around these stocks. Yeah, because it wouldn't just be California, it'd be New York, it'd be Texas, it'd be Miami, it'd be California, everything. Dan Ives of Wedbush, the stocks are down today. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be still to find, found out. Dan, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of analysis. And by the way, this is not even implemented yet. It's a proposal. It may never happen, but certainly if you own these stocks, something to watch. All right. Coming up, if inflation is about to drop, what do you buy now? We're going to talk about it. But first, the Global Gaming Expo is underway. Where else? Las Vegas. You're going to hear from the CEO of DraftKings about the challenges he's facing, including, believe it or not, rising rates. And as we head to break, take a look at the Dow heat map. You've got Amgen and Walgreen, the biggest gainers. You've got Salesforce and Disney, your biggest laggards. But overall, we're higher. And we're back right after this. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
All right, welcome back. The markets are mixed once again. Hey, don't go after the messenger, but the NASDAQ is back to being negative. Not down a lot, but we are down in the red right now. Dow's up 325, so a little better day for the big cap stocks. Been a very, very volatile day in the market. Shrugging off, at least earlier, some comments from Fed Chairman Loretta Mester, or Fed Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester, about saying, basically, we're going to have to keep going after inflation and monetary policy is going to remain restricted for some time. Markets are up despite that, but now the NASDAQ turning back negative. All right, let's focus on a few individual names like Lululemon. Higher on an upgrade to overweight at Piper Sandler, the firm noting its strong sales momentum and opportunity in outerwear, I guess like jackets, as the calendar turns to fall and winter. Roblox lower after Barclays initiating it with an underweight. That's a fancy word for sell, citing challenging growth prospects. Now that the pandemic is over and people are getting back to reality, their terms. And speaking of reality or lack thereof, Meta is lower again after a downgrade to neutral at Atlantic Equities. The bank saying a macro uncertainty is a hurdle to growth. That stock down, downgraded to a neutral when the stock's lost about half its value. Thank you, Atlantic Equities. Now to Tyler Matheson for his CNBC News update. Brian, thank you very much. Uh, the White House has laid out its timeline for its student debt forgiveness plan. Applications be available later this month. Uh, officials expect the vast majority of claims going to be processed by the middle of November, and relief funds will start going out before the repayment pause ends on December 31. Prosecutors have dropped charges against Adnan Syed in the 1999 killing profiled in the podcast Serial. His lawyer says additional DNA testing further undermined his murder com- conviction that kept him in jail for 23 years. On the news tonight with Shep Smith, just four weeks to Election Day, we're going to round up the latest from the campaign trail, including key Republicans campaigning with Georgia Senate candidate Herschel Walker. That's tonight at 7 Eastern time. Meantime, the Biden administration reportedly asked OPEC plus nations to delay their production cut for a month. The Wall Street Journal says Saudi officials rejected that request. And uh, in the last hour, the White House said President Biden believes the U.S. should review its relationship with Saudi Arabia to make sure it is serving America's national interests. Brian, wow. Back to you. Well, none of that should be surprising. I mean, based on you know us being there and and some of the commentary around what was going on. So it's uh, the relationship is, is getting... Is not good. Yeah, the, yeah, the, I, maybe we shouldn't use the word relationship at this point. We'll see. Yeah. Tyler, thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. All right, and we are going to stick with oil still ahead because you got those production cuts. You've got protests in Iran. And, of course, you've got Putin. Just a few of the headlines on oil and gas. And even with that OPEC cut, could we actually see a big price drop ahead? We'll talk about it. Ahead. back to the exchange. Gasoline prices are back on the rise around America. According to AAA, the average price for a gallon of gas is up 11 cents in the past week and has climbed 20 cents over the past month. The national average, as you can see, closing back in on four bucks a gallon. Of course, all you in California would love to see that because prices there are averaging $6.28 a gallon, according to AAA, due to high taxes, regulatory costs and lack of refineries. But with many fearing that we could be heading into a global recession, are oil prices about to fall even with the OPEC cut? And if so, are there still good stocks? Let's bring in Stan Major. He is mid-cap value portfolio manager at Hotchkiss and Wiley. And you brought some oil and gas stocks for us. But before we get to that, 
Uh, I sat down with the Saudi energy minister last week in Vienna, Austria. 17-minute interview, by the way. It's all up on CNBC.com. Check it out. And he basically said that they decided to cut because they're worried about the Fed, central banks, and a major economic slowdown. People can believe that or not, but that's what he said on the record. Do you believe that? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, you know, wh- when you put the, the math uh, and, and look at it, uh, people are rightly concerned about economic growth. Uh, if the world economy deteriorates, that might take half a million to a million barrels a day of demand down. Um, but if you look at the outlook, there are so many much larger issues that would outweigh that. So uh, starting with the SPR release, that's about a million barrels a day that would go the other way. Russia potentially is a million to two million barrels a day. China uh, coming out of COVID lockdowns uh, might be another million to two million barrels a day. So I would be less concerned about uh, the global economy and more concerned with supply in the short run. Um, I think that that's the real danger. Okay. Uh, because the IMF, so, uh, the IMF was out today warning about a major global slowdown. That would seem to kind of play into what the Saudi energy minister was, was talking about, that if we have a slowdown, how much could demand get hit? And they were basically trying to get out in front of it. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. I mean, demand could come off. But this, again, the supply issues are so much bigger uh, that I think it significantly outweighs that. Going into the OPEC meeting, we felt that the market was balanced at roughly 100 million barrels a day of supply and demand. Um, maybe half a million to a million comes off, but you could have significantly larger uh, amounts of supply coming off. So we think that the cut was uh, tightens the market even more. But the bigger issue, Brian, is longer term. Yeah. Uh, oil and gas, it's a depleting business. Uh, the world is not spending enough money to maintain that capacity. Uh, producers don't have the confidence in the long run. So we think that demand comes back. It continues to grow over the long term, and we just might not have enough supply. Yeah. I mean, this is you're hitting on such a critical story, Stan, because trillions of dollars coming out because people are talking about the energy transition. But there's absolutely no indication that the use of oil and or gas is going to go down anytime in the next in the next decade. I mean, that seems like you're headed for a pricing train wreck to the, to the upside, to the upside. Exactly. People are pretending like we're not going to use oil do. in the next five years. No, no. Oil use is going to go up in the next 10 years. That's not me. That's the IEA, EIA, any other acronym you want to throw out there. Brian, coal demand is still growing. Coal, so coal demand I, has never I, been higher any time in human history. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, we're fairly comfortable with the assumption that oil demand will grow. The issue, as you as you mentioned, is that suppliers are not spending enough money to meet that demand. And, and that's where it gets critical. And there's nothing you can do in the short run uh, when oil projects, the majority of them, you need five to 10 years of planning. And, and very few people are doing that. I always relish the opportunity to talk about Equatorial Guinea. I'm not kidding. Cool country, very unique, a member of OPEC. I've chatted with their ministers, awesome people. And by the way, I mention Equatorial Guinea because you brought us a stock that is the biggest oil and gas producer in Equatorial Guinea. It's a name we don't talk about much, but we should. Cosmos Energy, K-O-S. So, Brian, if you, if you think about what we talked about, there's a potential for shortages. In the equity market, you don't need shortages. Uh, 
you could actually have the price of oil drop pretty dramatically, and these would still be the cheapest stocks around. So a couple of the stocks we own, Cosmos, Apache, uh, you highlighted Cosmos. Uh, on current production, uh, at current prices, the free cash flow that they'll throw off is about a third of the market cap. So you're getting you know, over a 30% free cash flow yield. Uh, they also have some LNG assets that mm -hmm. are coming on next year at the perfect time, uh, which are probably worth 50 to 100% of the market cap. Uh, they're not currently buying back stock, uh, but we think they eventually will. Uh, Apache's the same thing. So uh, currently over a 20% free cash flow yield. If oil prices fell into the 60s, they would still have free cash flow of about 11% of the market cap. They've got assets in Suriname, tax assets, an LNG asset uh, contract with Chenier that's very valuable. We think those are worth 20 bucks, uh, so half the market cap. So they are buying back stock, which yep. compounds all those values. Dallas-based Cosmos Energy, also you like APA, Apache. By the way, if our viewers took the under on Equatorial Guinea references, they lost. Stan Major, <laughs> thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. All right, take care. All right, coming up, shares of DraftKings climbing about 20% over the past three months. It is football season after all, but they're still down this year. Coming up, we're going to go to Contessa Brewer out west in Vegas, speak with CEO Jason Robbins about the state of sports betting and maybe even address some of these ESPN deal rumors. I can see Contessa on the big screen here in the studio. She's fired up and ready to go, and we're back right after this. Welcome back. Let's talk sports betting, because if you follow me on Twitter, you know it's something I'm pretty hot on and pretty good at, along with millions of other Americans. It's huge. So why aren't shares of the sports betting companies doing better? It's a good question. Let's get some answers. Contessa Brewer joining us live from the Global Gaming Expo in Las Vegas, where she spoke earlier today with CEO of DraftKings, Jason Robbins. Contessa. Oh, Brian, DraftKings shares got a big bounce last week when news hit, but the company wouldn't confirm that it was working out a deal with ESPN. So I straight out asked Jason Robbins today, did you do a deal with ESPN? We have a partnership with them already, an existing partnership that we, we think is really uh, a great you know, relationship that is working well. Um, and nothing else really to, to talk about at this point. We've taken a portfolio approach to, you know, to how we have grown the business. We have great relationships with NBC, CBS. We've taken, you know, we have some of the best talent in the world. Um, so our playbook has worked really well and we're sticking to it. Amy Howe says she's positioning FanDuel to continue investing and growing in the U.S. Both CEOs predicting the economy will mean more consolidation naturally will happen. Meanwhile, another strong competitor is coming on the scene. Michael Rubin said today that Fanatics will launch sports betting in every state where it's legal, except New York, by football season next year. And, you know, Brian, they consider him a formidable potential foe. There's a lot of players. I mean, is there a fear that there's just going to be too many players? They're going to they're going to cannibalize each other by offering people like three hundred dollars here. Come over here. And people just have no yeah. loyalty and no, no, switch they, constantly. That 
I think that that's a really good point that's coming. They think that M&A, because of the credit liquidity issue, is going to freeze up a bit. But as people fall off, yeah, naturally. And then, yes, they think maybe there's going to be five big performers nationwide, not 15 or 20. Well, Contessa Brewer out in Las Vegas. And by the way, thank you to the Las Vegas Raiders for losing by less than seven. Contessa Brewer, thank you very much. I don't shake your head. It's making your industry. I'm bragging about being good at sports betting. <laughs> follow me on Twitter. You'll see. Contessa, now I'm, now I'm doomed because I said that. All right, Contessa, thank you. Coming up, the NASDAQ, the underperformer yet again today. Quint Tatro says there is a trade here. We're going to get it next. The Nasdaq pairing some earlier losses, but still sitting at its lowest level in more than two years. Two years of gain just wiped out. Things could turn around later on this week, though. According to your next guest, he expects the CPI print inflation number on Thursday to come in a little bit softer than expected, which he believes could give tech a much-needed boost. Joining us now is Quint Tatro, Jewel Financial founder and president. How closely tied, Quint, are the inflation data numbers, the Fed, and what happens to stocks? Well, I think it's one for one, Sully. I mean, ultimately, the Fed has to, I think, have a, a print that they can point to where the general public sees some sort of resolution to this inflation issue. I mean, if you're an investor or you're involved in the markets in any way, you're seeing the input prices fall off a cliff. I mean, we're basically seeing all of the leading indicators fall considerably, but I don't think that that gives the the public any confidence whatsoever until they see that CPI number start to come in. So I think Thursday is a huge, huge day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it, it, it begs the question of, you know, do we have an upside surprise in the market if, in fact, we see softer CPI? Although, but that's a pretty binary outcome, though, Quint, because the opposite could be true. It's like betting on the Raiders or the Chiefs. If the number comes in hotter, then wouldn't stocks tank No question, but I think we have to use some common sense. And the best way to look at this is if you were to look at the month-over-month CPI going back the last year, and it's sort of like a moving average in a rudimentary way. I mean, it's not that simple, but really you you can boil it down to this. September of last year, we saw a 0.4% increase in the month-over-month number. That's effectively going to drop off. So if we are flat, as I would suspect that we're at minimum flat and potentially down on a month-over-month basis, that brings 8.3 down to 7.9. Now, in the month of September, everything on the input side was down. We don't know yet about the housing, meaning rents and so forth, but you know, heating oil or natural gas, you know, oil, many of the input prices were down considerably in the month of September. So it wouldn't surprise me to see a month over month down. Then you go out one more month. Last October, we had a 0.9% print, which is also effectively going to drop off in a month from now. So I think people are underestimating how quickly this CPI can come down before the end of the year. Yeah, fair enough, it might. I mean, but suddenly we'll be happy about 5% inflation, which would have been terrible before, but now it's gonna be great. It's how people think. Um, but here's the worry I have, Quint. We've gotten used to these markets either going up or going down, right? You, oh, they bottomed out, and now they're going to pop. What if Stanley Druckenmiller and Ray Dalio and those guys, billionaire hedge fund managers, 
who are saying stocks could do nothing for five years. What if they're right? Yeah, I mean, the old adage rings true, right? It could be a stock picker's market, but the reality is, been in this game a long time as you have. I mean, markets do go up, markets go down, but the reality is as we sit here today, we are vastly stretched to the downside. I mean, you've mentioned the NASDAQ and the tech, but if you look at small caps, for instance, they're trading at valuations we haven't seen in decades. So the reality is, is that any hint of good news in the other direction, and I think we're going to see a tide shift considerably. Does that take us to new highs and ultimately advancement? Maybe not, but it might you know, soften the year-end blow if we can sort of see a bounce back into the end of the year. Quint Tatro, Jewel Financial. Quint, always a pleasure to have you on. Watching that CPI Thursday. It's going to be a big deal. Thank you. Thanks, Sully. All right, Meta revealing the details about its latest headset, virtual reality. We're going to get details, maybe even including pricing, coming up as that stock is down 3%. Stick around. Let's end the hour on a news alert. Meta revealing its newest virtual reality headset at a live event. Kind of ironic given that it's a virtual reality headset. Steve Kovac has the details. Steve, you're hey, in real life. I'm in real life. And to be fair, Brian, this event was also broadcast in VR, so you could have watched it in VR if you wanted to. But let's talk about what was announced. This new headset is called the MetaQuest Pro. It's a $1,500, you heard me right, $1,500 headset. It's going to go on sale on October 25th. You're looking at pictures of it right now. It's a more advanced version of the Oculus Quest that went on sale a couple years ago. It has the ability to do pass-through mixed reality. What does that mean, Brian? That means there are cameras on the outside that pass through the real world into the screen in front of your eyes. So you can actually kind of walk around and see the real world in front of you with digital images laid on top. Now, if you want the classic VR experience, you can dial it up all the way to VR, put some blinders on the side and have that full immersive experience. And look, Brian, the theme of this event and on top of just announcing this new gadget, it was really convincing developers to make apps and games and experiences for this thing. Because look, no one's going to buy it if no one has anything to do on it. So there was a lot of talk early on before this unveil that, look, if you're a developer, you can make a lot of money. They, they talked about a lot of games and apps that have already made a million dollars or more in their Oculus App Store. And they're hoping a bunch more people sign on, Brian. In a decade when it looks real. But right now <laughs> it just looks like you're in tech mobile. Yes. You don't even know what that is. I know but a tech mobile. It's I'm like not lo- that young. Right? Okay, well, it's like, you know, the block. What do you do in the metaverse? Right, right. So right now they're focusing really heavily on gaming, first of all, which is a very natural step for a gadget like this. But they're also talking about productivity and having meetings. In fact, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella made a surprise appearance here to say Microsoft Teams, the chat app we, you and I use to talk to each other in, in meetings, is going to be part of this Quest Pro system, meaning you can talk to your colleagues' avatars <laughs> in a meeting instead of looking at their real face, I guess, Brian. The hell's the point of that? <laughs> That's what I'm asking myself. I don't use Teams anyway. It, like, pops up on my computer, and then I just quit, quit, quit. Sorry. Uh, that's interesting. We can use the, the – we'll do this show like Kramer did in yeah. VR. Let's Steve, try thank you. Time. I like looking at my colleagues. Yeah. Even when I'm not wearing makeup myself. That does it for The Exchange. Power Lunch starts right now. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive. 
AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 